0: i'm jim brown your bible teacher at grace and truth ministries i put a title on the board this is what it's about today the 70 weeks of daniel comma christmas comma and uh, pentecostal tongues comma and demons are all related you cannot Eject any one of these subjects from this message. I've taught on this before, but I'm going to try to take my time and make it simple. First thing I'm going to do is put a little chart on the board to, so you can get close to understanding what I'm talking about. The 70 weeks of Daniel has to do with Israel as a nation. They were a nation from 1 Samuel. Well, actually, from the judges, from judges, they were under judges for about 375, 400 years, depending on who you believe the first judge was. Over here, I believe it was Joshua. The Bible says it with Othniel, O-T-H-N-E-I-L. And I A L, Othniel was the son, was the nephew of Caleb. Well, all the time they were under judges, and all the time they were kingdom. These things—the seventy weeks, Christmas, Pentecostal tongues, and demons—come out of the fact of what Israel did when they were a nation they did exactly what God said not to do what they did they went after Baal grove and I can't name all the gods they went after Shemash Molech Molech was the same thing Molech was the gods of Jordan northern Jordan and Shemash was the gods of southern Jordan, and there were two nations at that time. And they went and the Lord told Moses, before they're in Judges, you're in the book of Joshua, and before that they're forty years in the wilderness, forty years, and in before that they're in Egypt for four hundred years and God says I'm giving this land to Abraham and you can't go into that land and worship other gods because I delivered you out of Egypt with all these miracles I performed so he said if you go after these other gods which they did they went after all the gods of Egypt Egypt had a thousand gods They went after the gods of the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites. You can read that at the beginning of the ninth chapter of Ezra. They were going after all these gods and Ezra was reprimanding them for it. And so they go after, and all these are sun and tree gods. Sun and tree gods. Well, God says, he tells Moses when they're in the wilderness, going into the wilderness, you tell Israel, they're going to go back to this land. They're going to be ruled by judges, and then they're going to be ruled by kings. And all the time they're under judges, they keep going after Shemash and Molech and Baal and Grove and Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth was a generic term. A-S-H-T-O-R-O-T-H if it's spelled with an O it's singular if it's spelled with an E it's plural they had many tree goddesses and that was a generic, generic term for all of the tree goddesses well they kept going after all during the judges they'd turn away from God As soon as a righteous judge would die they'd go back after these gods and then when they get into the land uh, in 1 Kings, First Kings, the 11th and the 16th chapter, in the 11th chapter, Solomon goes after these gods. In the 16th chapter, Ahab brings these gods into the land when he marries Jezebel. And all this has to do with 70 weeks, Christmas, Pentecostal tongues, and demons believe it or not it has to do with that now let me explain that to you 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 see these don't seem to be kin let me make a little shortcut here in the ancient world they called their gods they called the grove or Baal or Shemash or Molech they called all these gods D A I M. O-N-I-O-N demonion, which is our word demon now demons were originally supposed to be good they would distribute fortunes because demon comes from the root D-A-I-O meaning to distribute fortunes and when you get into the New Testament I'm going to just jump over to it you get to the New Testament, to First Corinthians, the tenth chapter. The tenth chapter, Paul is reprimanding the pagans at at uh, Corinth and telling the Christians to stay away from them. He said they offer their they offer sacrifice, and Corinth was a corrupt corrupt place. He said they offer their sacrifices unto demon, to it says devils but the word is d-a-i-m-o-n-i-o-n he said that's what they're offering their sacrifices to and then when you get into acts the 17th chapter paul is on his second missionary journey and he comes to athens and he gets to talking to these pagans Athens is just corrupt to the core with pagan gods and and Paul tells these people at Athens he's talking to them about Jehovah God and he runs across some Epicureans and he runs across some uh, Stoics and these Stoics and these Epicureans, which are pagans, they are, Paul had been talking to them about Jehovah God. About Jehovah God. And they make the comment, they say, this fellow is talking to us about strange gods. Well, unless you go to the, your concordance and look up gods, you're not going to know this. The word gods is deamonion. Now we're talking about D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. That's our word demon. And these Epicureans and Stoics are accusing Paul of talking about strange demons if if they're strange demons to the Epicureans they have demons that are not strange that proves that that the pagans call their gods by demon or demonion in these verses right here so this is the same thing that Israel is doing over here so God says if you if you go after these other gods, I'm going to send judgments on you. Well, this is where Pentecostal tongues come in. God has northern Israel scattered all over the world by Assyria. And they end up in Europe, up in Russia, over in the Far East. They're scattered throughout the world. And southern Judah is scattered in five eighty six BC. Northern Israel seven hundred twenty-two BC and they're all they're being scattered for five hundred and eighty six years, seven hundred and twenty two years northern Israel and and in three 36 AD BC along comes a man named Alexander the great and he gives all of the world in this Grecian empire when we when they thought of education in the ancient world they thought of Greece Greek he gave all the world Its languages Uh, are languages or the word dialect, dialects or glossa. Glossa means foreign language. And dialect is actually the Greek word dialectos, D I A L E K T O S. So, all of the world is beginning to speak all these dialects, and it goes into let me get this book over here. This is a book, I've had copies of it. It's written by G. of Machin, he was a Greek teacher and this was new testament greek for beginners that was used in seminaries and bible schools all over america for 30 or 40 years he's considered one of the best greek scholars and he introduces his book by telling you all about these dialects just listen to this one more time i looked it up on the internet last night looked up Ancient dialects of the Greek language in the ancient world. And he tells you here, during the classical period, the Greek language was divided into a number of dialects, of which there are three great families. These are the families of the dialects that Alexander the Great, they evolved into, they evolved, it was an evolution Uh, it was an evolution of languages is what it was so we get our word glossary from that G O S S A R Y, glossary and he says here that the Greek language is divided into a number of dialects of which there are three great families of dialects of the Greek number one the Doric these are families That means in the Doric, there are many dialects coming out of the Doric. Then you have the A-E-O-A-E-O-L-I-C, and out of that comes many different dialects, many different ones. And then he says there's the Ionic, I-O-N-I-C and out of that comes many different dialects so when you get to let me read just a little bit of this in the 5th century before Christ one branch of the Ionic family the Attic attained the supremacy especially as the language of prose literature the Attic dialect was the language of Athens in her glory the language of Trucides, of Plato, of Demosthenes, and many of the other great prose writers, and he goes on to say Athens was conquered first by Sparta in the Peloponnesian War. peloponnesis is this. Is this? When you get down here to the bottom of Greece, you got a little land bridge. And there's like a hand out here. That's called the Peloponnesus. That's what that is. Then he says, uh, in the Peloponnesian Wars, uh, let me see, where was I? All right. And then in the middle of the 4th century before Christ, along with other Greek cities, came under the domination of, of the king of Macedonia, Philip. Then, when Philip was killed by the enemy, then Alexander the Great, his son, took over, and he gave all the world, all of its languages, all of its philosophies, all of its philosophies, all of its culture. Any time you see the word. H-E-L-L-E-N-I-S-T-I-C Hellenistic that means to culturalize with Greek languages Greek philosophies Greek culture Greek knowledge Greek idioms Greek metaphors that's what Paul did when he wrote to these Greek churches and they called everyone that was not Everyone that was in the world as far as the Roman Empire, they called them Greeks. Now let me read a little of this. Macedonia was not originally a Greek kingdom. The tutor of Philip's son, Alexander the Great, was Aristotle. And they go into all this about these languages and how that there was all kinds of dialects. That's why when you get into people want to tout Pentecostalism, you can't do that because Pentecostalism is not true. What they did, they built this, the fact that that these Jews were scattered all over the world. That's why, if you've ever heard or read any newspapers, or heard in news reports, when Israel became a nation May 14th, 1948, Jews were coming back to Jerusalem from all over the world because they had been scattered in 586 and 722. But all of them were, all of the Jews were speaking different dialects and different glosses, which means foreign languages. Foreign language, I wrote it up here. Foreign language. Well, that's why when you get into Acts the second chapter the fact that they had been scattered because of their wickedness going after these gods and they called all these gods demons demons and the bible says in revelation 17 and 5 that babylon babylon was the mother was the mother of all harlots And if you don't define the word harlot, you're not going to know what it means. Babylon was the mother of all idolatry. So if Babylon mothered it all, she birthed it, she nurtured it, fed it. And Babylon was founded on these words This is the first Babylonian dynasty, Genesis. 11 and 4, this is when Nimrod built Babylon, 11 and 4, and they said, let us make us a name, and that is what a name, and the Bible says, "A name is the word Shem, I believe what they were saying, we don't like Shem, telling us what to do because in the previous chapter in chapter 10 God blessed Shem and made him the ruler of everybody and they said we don't like Shem telling us what to do we want to make up our own Shem our own authority is what the word means and they said what we're going to do we're going to make up what we want to make and because they did that God says I'm going to confuse their languages I'm going to confuse the language and then I'm going to scatter them every time anybody wants to re- do God's word and come up with their own shem, their own authority. And then God said, Now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So their imagination gets loose, and especially here when Israel goes after the same system. And that system that Israel. Here's the point. When Constantine. brought brought all of the this map over here shows you it shows the Roman Empire was ruling Roman Empire was ruling everything around the Mediterranean Sea the beast Babylon, Persia, Greece and Rome rises up out of this Babylonian Sea and they, what they did, they brought Constantine. When he became ultimate ruler of the world, that's when he he was ruler of the Eastern Empire, and a man named Maxentius, Maxen, T i u s, and Licinius L i c. I-N-I-U-S. Licinius, they were dual rulers of the Western Empire. Well, Mr. Constantine said, I'm going to conquer them. And when he goes over to conquer them, he leaves. Constantinople was named after him. And he takes his armies and comes over here and attacks Rome. He wants to have total control of the empire. And he goes over, and he's about to cross the Malvian Bridge. M-A-L-V-I-A-N. V-I-A-N. The Malvian Bridge was going into Rome. He said, when he got to the Malvian Bridge, he said he saw a cross in the sky. All this has to do with Israel being scattered. And he said he saw a cross in the sky, and he had hired a man named Lactanius. L A C. Lactanius was one of the most brilliant scholars in his day and time. If you're ruler of the total empire, you can hire whoever you want to tutor your son. Lactanius was was Constantine's son's tutor. He taught him. But Lactanius said he did not see a cross. He saw what we call an X, but it wasn't an X in the Greek. It was a C-H, A CH. So Constantine added a CH and a Greek R put it right in the middle of that and that's called the labyrinth of constantine and that's a sign of roman catholicism that in fact you'll see it on all their vestments you'll see it on the pope's vestments and that's when he said i will start a church and he said i need a military church I need one that conquers. If you've ever seen those, those uh, Swiss guards, have you ever seen the Swiss guards during the midnight mass at Christmas time? The Swiss guards at one time were trained killers. They just look like a decorative thing now. They've got those big balloon uh, sleeves and looks like a great big, big diaper on them and got a spear they're holding they're not going to attack anybody but at one time they were the guards for the pope and they were very formidable and this was one of the signs of the pope so when Constantine says I'm going to start the Roman church the main reason he was going to do that was because he was ruling the empire of Rome upon the Mediterranean Sea but there were other people in the world he wasn't ruling he was not ruling the Huns that were coming from the Far East and they settled in a place called Germany and that's why we call the Germans Huns especially during World War One, they would go up to fight the Huns in their little double-winged aircraft and you had the Huns you had the Visigoths and the Goths, the Vandals, the Burgundians, uh, the Saxons, all of these people, the Franks, they were all coming over here from the. You had the Goths and the Visigoths. The Visigoths were the ones that he was afraid of, Visigoths. They, they're the ones that were just barbarians. They didn't care if they got killed, they would get on their horses and just brought in towns and slaughter and and burn everything to the ground and leave they didn't care how how they were affected and he said i've got to stop them from doing this so what he does you can find this in a book called the myth of mary by caesar vidal caesar vidal was born in madrid spain he was a doctor he had phd in several several subjects he was brilliant and this book is very very informative and he'll tell you how that constantine simply wanted to save the empire so what he did he compromised and he had something going on in rome called the saturnalia sat U-R-N-A-L-I-A and the Saturnalia was called the Feast of Saturn so he said what I'll do I'll simply take that, that festival and call it Christ Mass so he changed this and this was an orgy in the ancient world it was a seven day orgy if they went from the twenty fourth, and it has to do. Here's the point: If Constantine brought the gods of all these Huns and Vandals and and Visigoths and so forth, coming from the far east, if he brought them into the church, and he brought the Christians into the church, and says we can all be in here, we can all Salvage the Roman Empire together. That's what he did. And so when he brought them all into the church and started the Christ Mass, simply by adapting the Feast of Saturn, which they were all, they all understood what it was. Let me tell you, let me do something. Let me read some out of this. This is utterly amazing. And Mr. Vidal is. A brilliant, brilliant man. He had to do so much research on this. This is by Caesar Cesar Vidal V. I. D. A. O. L. I looked him up on the internet. He's written about a hundred books. Very, very intelligent, and he's got a chapter: Paganism enters the church. That's the title of it paganism enters the church and i'm going to give you a part of it where he's talking about paganism coming into the church he says we cannot examine all the details at the period that period but it is enough to say that 235 to 297 there was not the slightest glimpse of peace or tranquility in the roman empire it was diocletian that he took his place diocletian was a murderer he was the emperor before uh before constantine and he was slaughtering the christians as fast as he could but the more they slaughtered the christians the more they multiplied so he was not only having trouble with these hordes of if you you remember when they had this series on tv the barbarians that's what it was about it was about these hordes rampaging across the European continent and you can see what they're doing if you watch the if you watch it and you've heard me teach on it you will know exactly what it's about but he says uh, the 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 empire was in a terrible shape from 235 to 297 that's right before 297 they had to do something about it it was collapsing around them and they said we've got to save the empire, let me erase some of this they're saying we've got to save the empire so what Mr. Constantine does he says we will pull everybody in the church that's heathens and all these hordes they can come in the church and the Christians come in the church and you all have to compromise one another to get along and so let me read to you what Mr. Vidal says about Constantine He says the world is in bad shape in 297. That's right before Constantine. That's right about the time that uh, Diocletian dies, somewhere around 305 A.D. And then Constantine takes hold somewhere around 306. And then in 312... That's when he crosses that Malvian bridge and issues his edict of Milan, or the Edict of Toleration. This is everything. This is everything that Roman Catholicism was founded on. Tolerance. We have something in the world today that's very similar. In fact, it could be identical, and that would be political, co- political correctness. You define it has basically the same meaning as tolerating. When you're going to get along don't say anything that offends anybody that's why i believe they'll stop me one day they'll say mr brown you cannot put down kenneth Copeland or td jakes or any of these other preachers or billy graham you can't do that they may give me a a cease and desist order because i'm going against the political correctness and that's exactly what when they issued the edict of toleration, he said all these Hans and Vandals can come into the church and they can bring their goddesses, the tree goddess in, which is the Christmas tree, and they can bring their culture in and the Christians can come in and they're gonna to have to tolerate these people's doctrines. And everybody's gonna get along. And then he goes on to say goes on to say in 250 the goths again crossed the danube and two years later they sacked asia minor the danube is right in this area it comes down here and goes into the black sea the goths were in this area and they were driven across this danube river right here and they were driven into Roman territory, and the Romans started exacting penalties on them, and they said, you're not going to do that to us, and so they had started attacking everybody around them. And there was just thunder to pay for it. And 250, the Goths again across the Danube, and two years later sacked Asia Minor. Asia Minor is what we call Western Turkey this right here, all this, Asia Minor, that's, that's Asia Minor. Now let me read on. Three years later, the Germans were raising, R-A-Z-I-N-G, leveling Auvergne, and the Franks were reaching Spain. To top it off, an epidemic of the plague that had started in 250 would extend over 15 years starting in 256 inflation would gallop out of control and it is almost impossible to imagine what the chaos would signify to the people of the empire the slaves would run away and become highway robbers the idea began to gain ground that the only way to save the empire the roman empire was through a military dictatorship so the so Constantine puts together the idea of a Roman Catholic Church or a Roman Church later on it's called uh, they give the the Christmas was given its pagan name by Pope Julius the first let me read some more here Constantine and the pagan invasion And he says in 312, that's when Constantine and Licinius and Maxentius arose as conquerors. Twelve years later, Constantine defeated Licinius as well and became exclusive master of the Roman Empire, of the entire world empire. Constantine was conscious from the beginning of the enormous value that religion could have as a unifying element in the empire hounded by grave external and internal problems. His Illyrian predecessors, these were emperors out of the 300s, had dreamed of the possibility of implanting sun worship into the empire. As the unifying religion, and at least at the beginning, Constantine seemed to have had the same goal. As A. a. Key com- recently demonstrated, Constantine was conscious of the importance of forcing a new religion that was monotheistic. Mono means one theos, God, one God. What he's going to have to do is pull all the old gods together of the Goths and Visigoths and Huns and Vandals and the Christian church and make them all agree with each other. That's what they're trying to do today. The Pope is getting together with Hinduism and Islam, trying to come up with a one world government and would integrate all subjects of the empire. That's why he did what he did and brought Christmas in. Precisely because of this, he moved from polytheism to solar sun monotheism. Sun one God with hardly any difficulty. Christianity had survived since the first century the partial persecutions that cost hundreds of the faithful their lives. The new emperor was conscious of the Importance of having good relations with Christianity, he knew as well how fruitless it was to persecute them directly. Over a short period of time, beginning around three twelve, I've told y'all this before, Constantine concluded that the cement he needed to build his empire was not so much solar religion as it was Christianity. Nonetheless. It could not be just any Christianity, but a Christianity that would lend itself to political purposes with an army. That's why the Pope had an army, and those and those uh, Swiss guards was in were the leaders of his army. He needed a Christianity that contained a hierarchical that is a presider over sacred rites with chief priest and an army. And that's what he has. In a monolithic structure, Constantine does not seem to have experienced at any point a sincere conversion to Christ. He just right before he died, he called a priest in and had him baptize him with water. His interests were merely political. He tried to fuse Christianity with pagan cults, and that's Christmas and Easter and so forth. I can't explain all these things like he writes it down. That's why I'm reading it. It would likewise be an Arian bishop, Eusebius of Nicomedia, who would baptize him shortly before his death in 337. Constantine would be seen in a completely positive light he was the one who ended the imperial persecution saying nobody's going to kill christians anymore but they did keep on killing them and brought them out of hiding he even brought them to the palace to ask their advice all these aspects dazzled many christians of that period in such a way that they were not conscious of the mutation that was about to happen at the heart of their faith mutating Christianity into Christ's mass in Ishtar in an attempt to convert Christianity into ideological base of his empire Constantine was able to introduce ceremonies viewpoints beliefs and practices into its heart which originated in paganism he's going to take paganism and convert it to christianity and you can't do that his concern was not to maintain the purity of something which he did not care for but to adapt the organism to receive all kinds of strange bodies bodies which for him proved indispensable to maintain the unity of the empire that's what it was all about and if constantine brought all that paganism into the church of the huns and vandals they were all sun and tree worshipers how do you know that because Revelation 17 and 5 said Babylon mothered all idolatry so all the idol worship that Israel was involved in bell in the grove was the same thing that Constantine brought in the church in 325 AD at the Nicene council and began to introduce Christmas as the method of worship in the empire it was the mass. We are we're living in a world that has been seduced. America is a Roman Catholic state. In short, in a short time, to be Christian at least, external appearances became something chic chic, C-H-I-C you might call it cool it was chic to be a Christian elegant and attractive multitudes proceeding from paganism filled the rows of the church as a general rule it had never had people of such status among its members little by little the church was seduced by the glitter of human glory and forgetting the counsel of James against making exceptions of persons in James the second chapter no respect of persons in the blink of an eye Christians that had never associated with the government started to fill important political offices now they call These guys call themselves Christians that run for office, and they're not. That has nothing to do with Christianity. Then he goes on to say, Those who had been outlawed by the emperors now sat at his table. It seemed a triumph of the spirit over the former enemy empire. Without a doubt, many would have seen, would have have seen all that is God's blessings, but this was only how it appeared in reality. Was a different story. And then he goes on to say, "Few authors have expressed with such obvious clarity this process of absorption of paganism of pagan values as J. H. Newman. His testimony has." Special value in that he was born in the bosom of the Anglican church, converted to Catholicism, and made a cardinal. And Newman wrote, In the course of the 4th century, two movements of development extended across the face of Christianity with a speed characteristic of the church. One ascetic, the other ritual or ceremonial we're told in various ways by Eusebius that Constantine with the purpose of recommending the new religion to the pagans transferred to it the same external ornaments to which they had been accustomed it is not necessary to enter into a theme with which the diligence of the protestant writers has familiarized most of us the use of temples especially those dedicated to concrete saints and adorned on occasion with tree branches, incense, lamps, candles, votive offerings upon the healing of a sickness, holy water, orphanages, holy days and periods and the use of calendars, processions and the blessing of fields, priestly vestments, tonsures, that's the circular cutting of the hairdo to depict the sun facing the east, later statues, possibly the ecclesiastical song, and the Keri are all pagan origins sanctified by their adoption into the Roman Catholic Church. I've got one more paragraph. I thought I'd read this to you. I've never read all of it, not this much. The the fact that a multitude of aspects that are regarded as Christian by millions of people have their origins in paganism does not cease to be amazing. On the other hand, it is even more terrifying to see the spectacle of a church that having been seduced by the brilliance and human grandeur, gave itself practically en masse to the most obvious religious mixture. This guy is hard. In historical terms, it cannot be denied today that Constantine's drawing near to the church, although signifying enormous economic social and political benefits also implied the beginning of the corruption due to the multiple pagan seeds sown in the church at this point it started thousands of years ago a couple of thousand then he says read these one few words The purpose of this present work does not permit us to be detained by the diverse aspects mentioned by Newman. But in the following four chapters, we will make reference, although in summary form, to the way in which this pagan invasion had a decisive influence in the formation of the myth of Mary. It's a myth. Christmas is a myth. I've heard preachers say, I heard John MacArthur say, he said he knew all of this was pagan. He knew it was the Feast of Saturn, that they had changed into Christ's Mass. I want to ask John MacArthur, can you not see that Christmas is Christ Mass? You mean you can't see that in the Word? They just dropped one of the S's, to make it more plausible more swallowable more easy to swallow let me show you something let me tell you what god says about christmas christmas is adding to the word of god isn't it absolutely jesus was not well let me give you one verse before i give you these others In Ecclesiastes seven. Here's what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter. The first verse says A good name is better than precious ornament and the day of death than the day of one's birth. The day of death is to be celebrated above the day of birth. That's what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes seven one, And look over here in Leviticus. It's talking about the paganism that Israel is going to get involved in. In Leviticus 18. I want to say this to John or anybody else. John would say, Well, I understand that the Feast of Saturn was a seven-day festival at the end of December and that it was the birth that December the 25th was the birthday of Mithra December the 25th the birthday of Mithra the chief Sun God of Rome his father was Saturn And they had the Saturnalia from December the 17th through the 24th. And they threw the Yule log in the fire. Yule means wheel. The wheel of the year is the swastika. That's what it is. When you celebrate Christmas, you're giving credibility to the swastika. And that's what it is, the Wheel of the Year. That is the Big Dipper in its four phases. It's the change of the seasons. That's the way they saw it. They would check the Big Dipper in the ancient world. Check the Big Dipper at midnight, three months apart, at 12 midnight. Check it in June. Check it in September, check it in December, and then check it as you're headed towards spring to Ishtar, and we called it Easter, and that was a resurrection of Tammuz in the ancient world after he had died through this winter, headed for the spring, and they would check it in December, then in March. They would check it in March. These, on the date, would be on the 2nd. The 2nd. And they check it at midnight, and they come up with the swastika. And Hitler brought the swastika back from the Far East when he went over there looking for an Aryan race. And they, he sent Himmler over in the, into Tibet and one of the signs of the Tibet was the Su Vasti. And it meant it is good. And that was the way they looked at the wheel of the year and they threw the Yule, which means wheel. This is Yule down here, Yule and Sawan here. And this is a sign that all witches use. This has been around for thousands of years, not since Adolf Hitler. He didn't invent that. And it had to do with good luck because when they're going into winter here and they keep checking their Wheel of the Year, the swastika, when they get headed back to Ishtar the spring, then that's when crops come in and that's why it was called a good luck symbol in the ancient world the spring they got around to i don't know i put christ up there i was thinking got around to the spring and they got crops that was what i was thinking of they got crops in the spring and that was the good luck that's why it was a good luck symbol it was the boy scout symbol in the 20s in the 1920s in america with a fleur-de-lis in the middle of it and a fleur-de-lis means flower of the lily and you see that on the sides of the helmets of the new orleans saints and fleur and flower of the lily was a title for the roman catholic mary i'm just telling you i can't believe how can i find these things and other preachers can't find them i mean i don't understand what, what's wrong with you guys? I'm looking at the camera. Don't don't you have good sense? Can't you see Christmas, Christ's Mass? I've got an article here out of Encyclopedia Americana. And it'll tell you all these things, that Christmas comes from Christ's Mass. Here it is, right here. Out of the Americana, popular encyclopedia. The reason for establishing December the 25th as Christmas uh, is usually held that the day was chosen to correspond to pagan festivals. Good grief. Christmas customs are thought to be rooted in the ancient pagan celebration. It is held by some scholars at the birth of Christ as the light of the world. And what they're trying to do is mix it together. I want to read something to you out of Leviticus the 18th chapter. There's something people don't understand about Christmas. Let me put it on the board. Maybe I can make it simple this way. There is worshiping their gods let's just put gods of Christmas there is worship their gods gods a little g-o-d-s and then there is keeping the customs of their gods the main thing that God didn't want Israel to do was to do their rituals or their customs and that has bothered me ever since I was 12 years old when I saw the Pope and I saw the midnight mass and I'd never seen a TV in my life till that week and this was 1951, I was 12. And we watched it, and I'd see the Pope on there and say, he's doing the Midnight Mass, it's Christmas Eve, and Santa Claus, and I think another name for him is St. Nicholas. I think he was a Roman Catholic priest. And I found out later he was a 4th century Roman Catholic bishop that gave gifts to children, and many of the ancient, ancient scholars believed that he was a pedophile. Because he gave gifts to children. Let me read this in Leviticus, the 18th chapter, and verse 29. It's talking about this about paganism that Israel will get involved in. Verse 29, chapter 18 Whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, Even the souls that commit them, he's not talking about worshiping their gods, he's talking about committing the rituals. Even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore, shall you keep mine ordinance. Chukah. C-H-U-Q-Q-A-H. C-H-U-Q-Q-A-H. Chukwa. It means enactment. If you're going to pr- commit rituals, keep God's rituals. Therefore, shall you keep mine ordinances? What would his ordinances? Be the Passover, Pentecost, feast of ingathering. And now we're in a spiritual Passover, spiritual Pentecost, spiritual feast of ingathering that you commit not it's not even saying you don't worship their gods, that you commit not any one of these abominable customs the word abominable T O W E B A H T O W E B A H remember this is all because Israel was involved in sun and tree worship of these Gods, which is the same thing that those Goths and Visigoths worship that were brought into the church. They were all the same thing because Babylon mothered all idolatry. That word harlotry pornea means idolatry. And God is not even telling them in these verses, don't serve their gods. He's saying, Don't keep their customs which were committed before you and that you defile not yourselves therein. The word defile, Tame, T-A-M-E, looks like tame. It means disgusting or foul. They're foul and you were fouling yourself. Now look over here in one of my other favorite verses in Deuteronomy 12. They haven't come into the land and God is wanting them not to do this. Well, let's look at Deuteronomy 4, verse... Let's read 1 and 2. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord thy God you of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word of God. Add is the word yasaf. Y-A-C-A-P-H Yasaf. It means to augment. Put something to the word of God. Is Christmas, Easter, and all of that adding to his word? Yes, that's what they did. That's what Constantine did trying to save the empire which I command you, neither shall you diminish. Garah, Don't shave off any part of the word of God. You know you're ignoring these verses here and you're shaving these off. Because he's saying, don't diminish aught from it that you keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Now go over to the 12th chapter of Deuteronomy. 12th chapter this is before they go into the land Deuteronomy is written Deuteronomy comes from duo and nomos nomos is the Greek word law it means second law and then he says here in verse 29 you haven't come to the land yet this is right before they cross the Jordan River to go and possess the land when the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before you God is guarding you against everybody <coughs> whither thou goest to possess them when you go into the land there will be the there'll be Jebusites and Hittites and Perizzites and all theseites will be there and there'll be sun and tree worshippers. drive them out of the land and thou succeedest them and dwellest in their land take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following these people after that they be destroyed from before thee and I love this next sentence and that thou inquire not after their gods saying don't ask this question how did these nations serve their gods what rituals did they use he's not even saying "Don't don't serve their gods he's saying don't ask them how they did it by putting up a tree and decorating with silver and gold don't do that don't give each other gifts on the so-called birthday of Jesus. What really gets me? Everybody gives each other gifts in America. And they say, Jesus, we celebrated your birthday. And most of the world gets drunk. They cuss and get mad at each other. Argue and fuss. And then they say, Jesus, we celebrated your birthday. We got together, we argued and fussed and gave each other gifts and got drunk. Aren't you glad? That's insane, isn't it? now so he says thou shalt do not do so unto the Lord thy God if you keep their customs you're doing it unto God for every abomination to the Lord which he hateth, have they done unto their gods for even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods what things soever I command you to observe to do do it thou shalt not add thereof nor diminish same words from Deuteronomy 4 is Christmas adding y'all soft, is that adding to the word of God is taking these chapters out and taking these verses out and not paying attention to them is that taking away from the word of God yes now one more place over here Proverbs 30 how much time to have Mike I read a lot okay Proverbs Proverbs 30 Proverbs 30 and read here in read here in In verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not to his words. The word is yosoph. It means to add to his words if you do Christmas and you make an excuse for it or you even keep the customs by giving each other gifts observing a birthday and the birthday of Jesus is not mentioned anywhere add thou not unto his words lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar John I hope you heard that you'll be found to be a liar if you add to his words and say however we're going to use this season to glorify God that's not what we're supposed to be doing now we've said the 70 weeks of Daniel Christmas let me put it up on the board like this Maybe if I put a kind of like a a chart. Because Israel went after these other gods all the time they were a nation. God scattered them all over the earth. And he says he's going to bring them back at the end of time. If you'll notice, whenever he says, I'm going to scatter you, He usually would say, I'm going to gather you again. So he scatters them all over the world. At the end of time, in Ezekiel 37 and Isaiah 11, he's going to bring them back into one nation. Now, this is a picture of what happens during that time period. He measures out 70 times 7. This has to do with Israel going after these gods. He measures out for 70 times 7 or 490 years according to Daniel 9, 24 through 27. That's where you have the 70 weeks. And because Israel was disobedient to God and went against his promises, he puts them over here in Assyria and in Babylon. And he says, what I'm going to do, you went for 490 years. where you never kept your sabbatical years, which will tell you all about it in Leviticus 25. And then he says, what I'll do, I'll put you in Babylon for 70 years. That'll be enough time for the land to enjoy her Sabbaths and for the land to restore all of its nutrients. But if you don't come back, I'm going to measure out these 70 times 7 this way. From the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which will be in Nehemiah, the first chapter will be seven weeks, three score and two weeks. A score is six is twenty. Three score is sixty. Plus two is sixty-two. Plus seven is sixty-nine. Of those seventy weeks will be over, and he says that'll be into Messiah, the Prince. that'll be be down two. And all this has to do with the 70 weeks, and it has to do with the tongues, because they're scattered. And Alex the Great gives them all these gloss and dialects. So when you get to, and the Jews have been given in Exodus the 23rd chapter the Jews have been given it matters not that they've been scattered they have been given three festivals that they all have to come back to and when they're scattered they're coming back from all over the world to these three festivals and you got these three festivals. Oops, right here. This is the Jews coming back from all over the world. The arrows are pointing towards Jerusalem. They're coming back from Mesopotamia here. That's Babylon or what we call Iraq. They're coming back from down here in Ethiopia, from Egypt, from over here in in. Uh, Libya, this is the Libya area, from Carthage up here, they're coming back from Rome, and they're coming back from Spain, they're giving these three. When they get here, they're all speaking a different dialect, or glossa, that was given to them by Alex the Great, somewhere in the neighborhood of 336, until 323 when he died some people say those are different dates but that's approximately so what you've got you got the 70 weeks measured out but when the jews are all coming back to these festivals and you get into acts 2 the reason you'll notice in acts 2 what it says in Acts 2, let's look at Acts 2. I see this as one big picture. In Acts 2, the Bible says, these were Jews from every nation under heaven. That It says that down here in verse 5. Why were they from every nation? Because they were required to come back. When you look back over here in Exodus, the 23rd chapter, this is long before they're scattered. This is while they're in the wilderness, and God has given Moses these laws, and he tells them. He says this in Deuteronomy sixteen sixteen, Leviticus 23 here says it in the 34th chapter of Exodus. In verse 14, Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Whether you're scattered or not, you have to come back. And they have to bring back either a half shekel or a lamb. That's what they have to bring. So if they're coming from Spain or somewhere far off, they'll bring a half shekel so they can buy a lamb at the temple. Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread, which is the Passover. Luke 22 and 1 says that. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee in the time appointed of the month Abib. That's what they called it in Israel. In Egypt, uh, uh, when they were in Babylon, they called it Nisan. For in it thou camest out of Egypt, And none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of of harvest, that is 50 days later at Pentecost. The first fruits, it was, Pentecost had another name, Feast of First Fruits, of thy labors which thou hast sown in the field. And then he says, which is the end of the year when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field three times in a year. The feast of ingathering was in that tenth day of the seventh month, which was our month, September, October, and he says in verse 17, three times in a year shall thy males appear before the Lord God. Well, they have been scattered. When you get back and you look at thirty four twenty three of Exodus and you look at sixteen sixteen of Deuteronomy, it'll tell you these same things. They give you three different times. He says you have to come back. So when you get to Acts 2, these are Jews that have been scattered and they got different dialects and different glossa. When they come back, there's no such thing as Pentecostal tongues. These are the dialects that came about because of the scattering. Can you see that? They were scattered and they ended up with all these dialects and glossa. That's why in chapter 2, verse verse 3, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now, it doesn't mean like the Pentecostals draw this cloven split tongue like some flame and they paint that red. That's not what it means. Cloven is the word diamorizo, D I A M E R I Z O D I A M E R I Z O. It means petitioned off. They were cloven in the sense you had you had an apostle preaching here to the people from Mesopotamia in the Mesopotamian tongue. Then you had one here from Ethiopia and then another in here from preaching to people from uh, Greece and so forth and it was they were cloven tongues they were split into different into different uh, set off they were cloven glossa glossa is the word foreign language and they all filled with the Holy Ghost which is the truth and begin to speak with other tongues. Other tongues is hetero. Glossa. H-E-T-E-R-O. Hetero. We know what hetero means. A heterosexual is other sex. Heteroglossa is other foreign languages. As the Spirit gave them a p o p h, t h e g a p o p h ph p h that's op means to speak so clearly that you can be easily understood in fact That's the same word in verse 14 when Peter lifted up his voice and said. I don't know why they made one of them utterance and the other word said and Peter didn't say He didn't say that. He said, ye men of Judea, and then that's also the same word in the 22nd chapter it's mentioned three times in the bible in the 22nd or 26th chapter excuse me 26th chapter of acts when paul was standing before festus who was a governor in verse 24 of chapter 26 and as he spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. The word means to be crazy. You're crazy. Thou beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. The word means to be a maniac. Festus was a governor telling Paul, You're a maniac. Then Paul said, I am not a maniac, most mobile festus. The word is maionomai. M-A-I-N-O-M-A-I. I'm not mad, most noble festus, but speak forth. That's the word apopothangomai. Same word as utterance and said. Same word. I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. When you apophathegami, you say truth and you're sober and there's no drunkenness in it. And then he says here, in verse 6, then you got men from every nation under heaven. Now you understand why they're from every nation, because they've been scattered because of their idolatry. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in their own dialect. And they were all amazed and marveled saying one to another, Behold are not all these which speak Galileans. That's saying something because Galilee was like the redneck part of the world. They didn't, they didn't have much education they were farmers and shepherds and workers in the marketplace and they didn't know all the dialects when jesus said go into all the world and teach all nations they're going how can we do that we don't have all these languages these glossa and dialects a glossa to the jew to the apostles was a language they did not know and God gave them the ability to do that it was a dialect and then they said now how he were ever man in our own tongue wherein we were born what they said is how he we ever man in our own dialect the word is dialectos in the Greek not a Pentecostal tongue If you don't like this, then you don't like the 70 weeks of Daniel. You don't like the fact that God scattered Israel. In our own dialect, wherein we were born. And then it begins to name all the different Jews are there. Parthian Jews, Medes Jews, Elamite Jews, dwellers in Mesopotamia Jews, right down there between the Tigris and the Euphrates River in southern Iraq and Jews in Judea, Jews of Cappadocia, right up under the Black Sea, Jews of Pontus, right over there in southern Asia, and of Asia, Jews from Phrygia, from Pamphylia, in Egypt, Jews from Egypt, and in parts of Libya, that's what that shows at, that's what this is talking about, Jews in Libya, right here, that's Libya, that's the Gulf of Libya that Ronald Reagan blockaded when that crazy Qaddafi was there. And then he says Jews from Libya, from Cyrene, the the Cyrene, Simon the Cyrenian bear by the cross of Christ. Cyrene, right here. He was coming over to come to this festival of Pentecost. They were come because they were required, and not only that, because they were devout. That's what it says in verse 5. They were devout men from every nation under heaven. They were devout because they were trying to keep the laws of God by attending these festivals. And then he says, there were Cyrenian Jews, strangers of Rome. Stranger meant Gentiles who had gone through the proselyte process. Jews and proselytes. Cretes, Cretan Jews. Here's Crete right here. There comes from Crete over here. Speaking a different dialect and a different glossary. You're not going to understand this, and you spend sixty-five years studying it all like I've done. Not because I'm great; it's God has given me the drive. I'm not a genius. I don't believe I've, I don't believe I've got a high IQ. I just have an unbelievable amount of drive to find out what something means. And then he says, "Creosan Jews, Arabian Jews. Some of them come from down in Arabia, and they were Jews. We do hear them speak." In our glossa, the wonderful works of God. And that's that's what the tongues are about. The tongues came about for the same reason. And what the Pentecostals have done, they've twisted the Word of God. Twisted God's Word. And because they were scattered all over the world, they've got all these dialects and glossa, and Glossa. So, the 70 weeks of Daniel, which God measures out to them, so they can repent, and they will repent at the end of the 70th week, and the 70th week comes around down at the end of time. We've gone through, you cannot separate the tongues, Pentecostal tongues, demons, because that's who Israel went after they went after demons and and you can't separate demons the tongues christmas it all is a part of the same picture now deal with that <laughs> do i have any time mike six. six minutes i don't know what i can say in six minutes I can just give you some more things on tongues. I've got if you've got a if you got a word study concordance. This is every time the word tongue is mentioned, or every time the word dialect is mentioned in here. And this is every time the word gloss is mentioned in the Bible. Here's the word gloss right here gloss is mentioned fifty times in the New Testament and dialect is mentioned six times in the New Testament all in the book of Acts. when you get into first Corinthians the fourteenth chapter first Corinthians fourteenth chapter these are the two chapters acts to and 1 Corinthians 14 is the ones that the Pentecostal use to prove tongues, and they don't prove that. First Corinthians 14 has glossa all through it. And it does not have dialectos. Doesn't have that. Acts 2 has other tongues, other glossa. It has glossa and and what Paul is doing at Corinth he is reprimanding people for speaking in a foreign language in church without interpreting it that's what he's doing he's not commanding them for doing that he said he that speaketh the an unknown tongue edifies himself you will never find Anywhere in the Bible where a man is supposed to edify himself. The Bible says in John 7 that the man that speaks of himself seeketh his own glory. You'll never find that in the Bible. And uh, I hope you can see how the 70 weeks, Christmas, and I could put Easter in there, Ishtar, because it goes along with it. And it's all a part of that wheel of the year, the swastika. And Pentecostal tongues, people get involved in their emotionalism, and they think that's truth. Let me look at the camera and say, if you leave the definition of the word, then you're involved in your imagination. You're involved in a lie that you've imagined in your mind, whether it's tongues, no such thing as Pentecostal tongues. There's no such thing as faith healing. Every time the Bible says, thy faith has made thee whole, every time the word whole is sozo, it's the word saved. When the woman had the issue of blood, And Jesus said, thy faith has made thee sozo saved. Now go and be whole of thy plague. Hold, that second word, whole is hugius, H-U-G-I-S. It is not sozo. Faith saved her. And because he was a living God, because he wanted her to be healed, he said, now go and be hugius hygiene. We got a word hygiene from that means physically cleansed. But her faith did not make her physically cleansed. Her faith saved her. Pentecostals have imagined their way into a tunnel they can't get out of. The only way you can get out of it is to say, Hey, I am wrong. But most of them won't do that because they say, I know what I feel. What you feel will lie to you. It's kind of like some girl that goes down here to some rock concert and she's screaming on the front row and and looking up at the rock star and saying I love him no you don't you have a infatuation with him but you don't love him it's just it's the same thing I've been in bunches of Pentecostal churches as a gospel singer I'm going to close this out right now I've I enjoyed teaching on this, and I've got so many notes I can't get to all of them. Uh, I'm going to come back next Wednesday and get back into the 70th week of Daniel's 70 weeks, which is going to be split into two two parts to 1,260 days, 1,203 score days or it's going to be split into 42 months with its half of seven years on a Jewish calendar. Or it can, as it's put in scripture, it'll be a time, times, and half a times, which is three and a half years. And I'll show you why it has to come at the end of time. And I believe it's just around the corner. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime. I'm 82, my health's not the best. Uh, I'm trying to sustain my health doing everything I can to protect it but just uh, pray for me that God will give me strength I pray daily Lord give me strength to continue this work so I can record as many of these messages as possible well let's pray Father thank you for truth above everything and Lord I pray that you will Give me strength to continue for years to come, if it's according to your mercy and will. Fight our battles for us. We've got a lot of people that want to destroy us. Fight our battles and and lead the church in a right way to strengthen them as this end times draws closer. We'll praise you for everything. Give you glory for everything. In Christ's name, amen. Well, you all know how these things fit together. I don't know anybody in the country that knows. That knows anything that I said up there. They don't know about what tongues are about, much less that tongues is connected to the 70 weeks which is connected to what Israel did. Is that... Was that understandable? It's not so hard. It's just a lot of details. You know. You cannot separate Christmas... From the Seventy Weeks of Daniel.